Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory. Once again, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Let's start our day off by jumping into the Word of God and receiving the strength and nourishment from God's Holy Word. We're going to be today in the book of Romans, chapter 6, the great theological treatise by the Apostle Paul that gives us the wisdom to walk in victory over sin and all of the devil's junk and garbage. Hallelujah. Paul theologically explains it. He goes into brilliant detail, but you don't have to have a Ph.D. to understand it or a Th.D. All you need to be able to do is have an open heart and receive the truth of God's Word that sin no longer has dominion over you. Now, we will be in Romans chapter 6, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it is anointed. And we ask that your anointed word will now enter into our heart and bring spiritual light, illumination, and understanding to the eyes of our heart. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All around the internet world, shout this morning, not too loud, it's very early, shout and say, Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. We don't want to wake anybody else up who might be uh, getting their sleep. Praise God. Now, we want to talk about the classic question of how do you overcome sin? You can't take it for granted that just because you've been in the church maybe for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, praise God, that other believers who are young in the Lord just somehow know how to ride this horse, okay, know how to uh, walk in this knowledge. Don't take for granted what you know. Uh, some of the things that you know took you a long time before you got that revelation. And so we want to reach out today to those who are young in the Lord who might be struggling with certain things, not knowing how to overcome, having an insight within their heart that they believe and think that they are supposed to overcome, and they're right, but we want to talk about the nitty-gritty of how we actually do it, and I do believe there will probably be some believers who are more seasoned in the Lord, but yet you have those little besetting sins that are spoken of in the book of Hebrews, and you don't want those little things to trip you up ensnare you or hold you back from God's best for your life. And we'll talk about how to deal with that today. Our question is, how do you overcome sin? The, the process of overcoming sin in your life begins first and foremost with knowing who you are in Christ, what Christ accomplished for you at Calvary. We're talking about more than just a figure of a man hanging on a cross. We're talking about what that meant how that applies to your life. So you have to know who you are in Christ, what Christ actually did for you at the cross. And uh, if you just stick with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you might not really be able to plumb the depths of what took place. That's why we have the other books in the Bible, particularly the book of Romans, which Paul goes into detail explaining what actually took place, what was the transaction going on there at the cross, uh, what was taking place from a covenant perspective, and also we have the epistles. The epistles are letters written to the church that teach you how to enjoy what Christ appropriated for you and I at Calvary. So, in order to overcome sin, you need to know who you are in Christ and what Christ did for you at Calvary. And Romans chapter 6 uh, opens that up and gives us the understanding 
of the great triumphant work for Christ, uh, of Christ at Calvary, knowing that his triumph, his victory is our triumph and our victory in him. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? When you were immersed in the Christ, and this is not referring to water baptism. This is referring uh, as to being immersed into salvation through regeneration. Remember, when you were born again, when you were regenerated, when you gave your heart to Christ, uh, you didn't just get like a little bit of a makeover. You were completely made brand new on the inside. You were regenerated. You became a new species, as it says in the Greek, a new creation, a new creature. It actually, in the Greek, implies a new species. Uh, uh, that old man, that old woman that you used to be is completely dead now. And it, Paul says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You have to realize that the old you died when you gave your heart to Christ, when you were born again on the inside. That was the thing that perplexed Nicodemus. He was like, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And, and the Lord was like, that's not what I'm talking about. This is a spiritual uh, rebirth. This is a rebirth on the inside, a regeneration so that you're no longer this old sinner, praise God, but now you are a child of God who is in Christ, therefore you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. So he said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So you have to view yourself as a person who died to sin. Oh, Pastor Stephen, I'm just a sinner. No, you, no, you're not. That is an unbiblical statement. Pastor Stephen, I'm just a dirty old sinner saved by grace. No, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus saved by grace. The dirty old sinner died. <laughs> you cannot claim that anymore. That is a statement that some believers make out of not knowing really who they are in Christ. So, first and foremost... How to overcome sin? Know who you are in Christ. Know that no longer are you a sinner. You are a child of God. Now, Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, okay, and I'll talk to you ladies for a moment, the old woman, okay, talk to the men, the old man, but this is, when it's talking about man, it's talking about uh, anthropos, or mankind, which includes men and women. It's where we get the word anthropology, or the study of man. It's referring to humankind, okay? Knowing this, that your old, excuse me, he says that our old man was crucified. That means put to death with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When you became born again, when you were regenerated, when you gave your heart to Christ, it says that the body of sin was done away with. Okay, so that body of sin, that old man, that old nature, which used to want to do all kinds of crazy things, it's actually been done away with. I know that some of you think that it's still there, and it's given you a hard time. I'm not arguing that it might be giving you a hard time, but what I'm saying is that it's actually did and done away with, and I, I want to explain in a moment why some of you are still having this great struggle. But first and foremost, you must take up your position. Before you know how to overcome sin, you must take up your position that, that you are dead to sin, and that the body of sin is actually done away with, and it's not in you anymore. Hallelujah. Because if it were, 
you would have no option. You would be a slave to it, okay? But because it is done away with, you no longer have to be a slave to sin. Isn't that good news today? Romans chapter 6, verse 12 now. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Now, if the body of sin were still there in you, you, you wouldn't have much of a choice when temptations came and all of this junk uh, is presented to you. You would just kind of go right along with it because that's what sinners do. But that sin nature has been taken out of you as a believer, and that's why Paul says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So, it does not have some kind of power to overwhelm you, to hijack you, to control you like it used to. It's gone. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, your members of your body. And when it's talking about the instruments, that, that's talking about the body parts that you have. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members or your body parts as instruments of righteousness to God. Now watch this, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so sin, the body of sin, being done away with and being removed out of your life means that sin no longer has dominion or power over your life. Verse 22 of Romans chapter 6 says, But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So you have been set free from sin. I know, again, that some of you are thinking, No, I haven't, Pastor Stephen. You don't know what I deal with every day. I haven't been set free from sin. It's still in me. It's still conquering me every day, and it's got me tied down. But my friends, you must deal with sin from the New Testament perspective that the body of sin has been done away with that sin no longer has dominion over you, and that you are not its slave anymore. Don't go by your feelings. Go by the Word of God, and that is the first step in order to overcome sin in your life. Now, once you have the New Testament perspective, which is what the Apostle Paul laid out in Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, which brings great freedom and joy when you understand what Jesus did for you at Calvary, whoo, hallelujah, through his death, burial, and resurrection, now you begin to have the tools that you need to live in victory on a daily perspective. Look, I'm going to give you one verse today that is so powerful, and many times, uh, you know, you don't need a hundred verses. D David took down Goliath with one Stone. Now, I know that he had a few other stones. He had five in his uh, little knapsack, but he, would, he took down Goliath with one. And you, if you read the scriptures carefully, go through the chapter slowly concerning the story of David and Goliath, and then later on into uh, that whole thing unfolding, you'll see that Goliath had brothers. Okay, so the stones were not in case he missed. The stones were for the brothers in case they decided that that day they were going to stick out their heads as well. David was like, I'll take them all out one day if I have to. Praise God. I'm telling you what, he was under a warrior anointing, 
and he took Goliath down with one stone. So I'm going to give you one scripture today that will help you to overcome sin in your life. So let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, a great chapter that deals with understanding the role of government in a nation, our proper response to government and authority. So uh, if, if you're getting ready to pay your taxes, want to pay your taxes early, you can build up your faith to do that by reading Romans chapter 13. And then it also gets into uh, walking properly before the Lord in the last days in which we are living. So Romans chapter 13, let's pick it up in verse 11. Verse 11 says, and do this. Please take your highlighter, your pen, or your pencil. Don't be afraid to write in your Bible, okay? And I want you to underline the phrase, and do this. This is not something that we're just going to look at, poke around, and think, isn't that a nice little sermonette that Pastor Stephen shared early in the morning? I just get the warm, uh, the warm fuzzies when he talks, and I drink my coffee. No, <laughs> we're going to do more than just talk about it. We're going to do it. The Apostle Paul said, and do this, okay? This is your assignment for the day. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. There is a spiritual sleep that can come upon the people of God where you become lethargic. Uh, you become very calloused. You become very careless in your walk. It's, that's a dangerous place to be in. Because of the time that we're living in, you must be spiritually sober and alert. It is high time to awake out of sleep. Wake up this morning physically and, most importantly, spiritually. Praise God. Wake up right now. Shake yourself. Hallelujah. Sh shake yourself. Might have to give yourself a little slap on the face. Hallelujah. Wake up. Praise God. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. We are nearing the end of time in the sense of what we would call the Gentile dispensation. We are nearing the end of an age, the end of a chapter, and it's about to be closed out, and you need to be fully alert. Therefore, in other words, because of all of this, let us cast off the works of darkness. Are there any works of darkness taking place in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to send me an email and say, yes, it's me, Pastor Stephen. Here they all are. We know that the Lord's people can struggle with certain things. We're here today, though, to cast them off, not to glorify them. We're here to cast them off. Praise God. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. Okay, revelry, these wild parties and so forth, the drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. It's very important that you stay out of strife. And envy, which is, would be uh, jealousy and so forth. Verse 14, here's the verse. Here's your one smooth stone for today. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Make no provision. Please underline that. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That is your one smooth stone today. Hallelujah. Get ready to put it in your spiritual slingshot, and you're going to whack the devil right between the eyes today, and you're going to experience 
victory over besetting sins, temptation of sins. You're going to begin to walk in the victory of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to begin to imagine right now that today you're going to go out and you're going to face a real enemy on the battlefield at 6 o'clock in the morning. But later today, when the sun comes up, you're going to face a real enemy on the battlefield. Here lies the difficulty. The enemy has had a good night's sleep. I, I don't know if you have or not. He's had a good night's sleep. He woke up this morning, your enemy did, and he had a really healthy breakfast. I'm not talking about the greasy kind that clogs up his arteries. He ate a really good breakfast. He's ready to go. Not only uh, has he had a good night's sleep, a really good power of breakfast, uh, but he's also had a personal escort that has led him to the most strategic place on the battlefield, and so he already has the advantage of taking the high ground on that battlefield. There was a hill. He's already been taken there. He's already set up his troops there, and uh, he has a advantage already. And so you might think, well, Pastor Stephen, this is not sounding too good. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Well, th this, is a, this is a spiritual example. This is a theoretical illustration. The problem with this, of the enemy having all of this provision, unfortunately, is that many times we ourselves can be the ones who actually provide the enemy, all these advantages. You might think, well, now hold on, Pastor Stephen, that, that somebody that did that, that actually supplied their enemy with provision, that would be really weird. I mean, if we keep doing that, we're never going to win. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we want to talk about today. Glory to God. Instead of weakening sin and lessening its power and its ability, and cutting off the supplies of the enemy, many times we end up strengthening and empowering sin by giving it provision and opportunity. Very carefully. Look at verse 14 one more time. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, no opportunity for the flesh. Now remember, that's, that's the enemy. The enemy, the devil, he's a flesh devil. Please understand what I mean when I say that. The devil is not flesh. He is a spirit being. He is an outlaw rebel spirit. But the way the devil works is by trying to tempt you in the flesh. That's why I say he's a, de he's a flesh devil. He's targeting your flesh. That, that is the pull that he has. That is the, the, the tools that he has to work with. But the Apostle Paul said, make no provision, no opportunity for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision. Do not feed or strengthen sin. We're talking about how to overcome sin. Do not feed it and do not strengthen it. Start it out. Woo, hallelujah. Weaken it and force sin into an emaciated condition. Praise God. Treat sin in your life 
the same way you would as if you were going to go out and besiege a city. Let's go back in time this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. (laughs) In ancient warfare, an invading army would surround a city, or they would surround a castle. And, you know, when I was studying this, I was meditating on the ancient fortress of Masada, which, of course, is in southern Israel. Masada is located on a remote mountaintop. It would be what uh, would be described as a fortress. And uh, many years ago, it would actually have been the, the year of A.D. 73 when this took place, a small group of Jewish zealots, very zealous, of course, about 960 of them, resisted the mighty Roman army. Now, you have to understand that Rome just completely demolished Jerusalem in AD 9, uh, excuse me, AD 70. And the temple was destroyed, and uh, countless Jewish people were slaughtered. Now, the Roman army in a mop-up operation of crushing remaining rebel forces, decides we're going to take out these zealots that have taken up a stronghold in the fortress of Masada. And if you go with us to Israel, we'll be able to go up to the mountain fortress of Masada. Breathtaking views where you can see over the Dead Sea, sometimes called the Salt Sea. But you also realize this place is out in the middle of nowhere. And so they had a great location, but nevertheless, they're messing with the wrong army, the Roman army. And so what took place is that the Roman army besieged the Jewish zealots in Masada. It doesn't matter how strong sin has an entrenchment in your life. If you will besiege it and starve it out, I'll tell you what, you'll kill it. Whoo, hallelujah. Now, if you were to Google Masada, what happened at Masada, you can actually see pictures. Now, of course, if you go there, you can see it with your own eyeballs. You see the ancient leftovers of the garrison of the Roman armies. You see where they had uh, set up their troops, and you see the entire wall they built around the whole mountain. Why? Several reasons. Number one, they're going to cut off the Jewish zealots from being able to escape. And if anybody tries to come out and escape, they're going to get shot through with an arrow, or we're going to kill them. Okay? So they, if they want to resist and not surrender, okay, you're not. if you try to come out, we're going to kill you. So unless you all surrender, but they're not willing to do that. So they encircle the whole mountain so that nobody can escape, nobody can get out. They're also doing this. They're cutting off the water supply. They're cutting off all supplies of food. And no reinforcements are allowed to get in. So they are, they are putting the whole area of Masada under siege. They are locking those people down. What are they doing? They're going to starve them out. Now, the, the, the difficulty with Masada that the Romans had with Masada was that the Jewish zealots there had a pretty good supply of water. There were cisterns that were quite large that had water in there. So this was not like your normal city where we're going to besiege it and just wait for them all to die because they're going to get hungry and starve to death. This was a little more challenging because they did have some pretty deep food supplies and some water. So they're nevertheless still, they're going to follow the protocol, besiege the city. Nobody can come out. 
reinforcements cannot come in. We're going to cut off all supplies so that their water and food begins to get dwindled down, dwindled down. And at the same time, they began to build a siege mound up uh, on the side of that mountain. I mean, when you see this, you think, that's some amazing engineering. They built a siege mound all the way up. And when they got the siege mound built all the way up to the gates of the wall of Masada at the very top, they took a battering ram up there, and they took their best archers, and they eventually broke through. What happened, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, now it remembers Josephus also used to be a, a Jewish zealot, but he was captured in battle, and the Romans said, hey, we'll spare your life. I mean, you're really good at writing. We'd hate to kill you. You're great historian, so come work for us. So he did. <laughs> so he joined the Romans, and he was a really good historian, so he recorded the siege and the capture and the fall of Masada. What happened when the Romans broke through with their powerful battering ram, and the army went inside the, the area of Masada on the top of the mountain, it was deathly quiet. And then according to Josephus, the men had drawn lots to kill all of their wives and children. And by the drawing, so all the wives and children had been murdered or, uh, or uh, self-inflicted suicide through their husbands. And then the husbands all drew lots so that they would all uh, kill each other. And the last person was supposed to kill himself. And so we have Josephus who was able to explain to us what exactly happened. And it appears that there were also, the story goes, that there were three women who were hidden in a cave. Uh, for whatever reason, they didn't get killed. And they explained the whole scenario when Josephus wrote it down. So that's the, that's the story of Masada. The Romans actually got there, ready, uh, broke through the wall, and got there ready for a real battle. Uh, and nobody's showing up. Why? They all killed themselves. And so... Uh, it's an interesting uh, thing. The, the Israelis today are not quite sure how to view this. In one way, they, they view it as being heroic and being epic of resisting the foreign invaders who took over their land. But the other, the other train of thought, which is very prevalent in Israel today, is that they took over the land because of all of our sin. And the zealots were a fringe radical group that would never submit to proper authority, to the judgment of the Lord, and that's why they all got slaughtered. So, you know, it's different ways of viewing it. Uh, uh, so, you know, everybody has their viewpoint, but one way or the other, if you join the military in Israel, every new recruit is taken to the top of Masada, and they are shown what took place there. Praise God. So here's the thing. Masada cut off all supply of food and water so that no reinforcements can come in and that there's no means of escape for those that are trapped within the, the city. And you either surrender or you're going to die of thirst or die of starvation. In the same way, Romans chapter, four, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, make no provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. Cut off every supply, everything that would strengthen sin in your life, lay siege against that sin habit. Make war against it, lay siege against it. An enemy without strength will soon 
be a defeated enemy. Hallelujah. A sinful habit that is deprived of replenishing resources will soon wither and die. Cut it off. Cut it off. Cut it off. Make no provision. Make no opportunity for your flesh to get in trouble. Woo, hallelujah. Glory to God. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, now I've got some tools I can work with. I'm going to begin to block. I'm going to begin to cut off. I'm going to begin to shut that down. Hallelujah. Yes, that's exactly what you need to do. Make no provision for the flesh. Give it absolutely no opportunity to fulfill its lust. Starve your sins. Keep away any type of food or fuel that maintains their life. Now, when I'm talking about food for sin, I'm not talking about, you know, hamburgers and french fries. I'm talking about stuff that would give opportunity in areas that you know you're weak in, but yet you're still allowing that stuff to be around you. Okay, cut that stuff off. Remove those things. Put a blockade up. Put a wall up against those things as much as you can to put a barrier of protection in your life against those things. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Wear down and weaken your sinful habits so that they have no power over you, but rather you are the master and those things become your slave. Look, when you died to sin... When you received Christ, you received a new master. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6. Sin is no longer your master. Sin can no longer boss you around, come into your life and tell you what you're going to do, where you just have to do this because I've controlled you for the last 10 years. You just have to do it. No, that stuff's over with. Hallelujah. Cut that out. Starve that thing out. Besiege that thing. Hallelujah. It'll get weak, just like a, a person in a besieged city running out of food, running out of water. You get tired. You can't fight no more. You can't even, you're so tired, you can't even lift your sword. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's what you're doing against your sins. Glory to God. Now, this message is not about literal food, but let me say this. We are in the holiday season. We are going to step into Thanksgiving very, very soon. And then, of course, we cross over into the glorious time of Christmas where there's sugar cookies and, and uh, all these goodies and pies and cakes. And it just seems like on holidays, particularly on Thanksgiving and Christmas, that we almost feel like we have to be obligated for some reason to just bloat and stuff ourselves with food. Well, Pastor Stephen, after all, it's Christmas, and, you know, that's just what we do. We don't just eat a slice of pumpkin pie. No, we all get our own pumpkin pie and eat the whole thing. Pastor Stephen, I have an intention to eat so much food on the holidays that after it's over, they have to roll me out with a wheelbarrow. My friends, be careful. Be careful because when you're, when you're just, when you just uh, release all good measures of common sense, you give sin the op opportunity to start to get a little bit of an upper hand over you. Don't do that. Don't do that. How, now, now, you enjoy your cookie. 
you enjoy your, your, your turkey and cranberry sauce and your mashed potatoes and gravy. Hallelujah. And if Christmas rolls around and you want a little Virginia smoked ham, you just go right ahead. Hallelujah. You don't have to be kosher. It's okay. But understand this. Don't stuff yourself. Hallelujah. Just when you get full, just stop. You can come back and eat later when there's appetite. If you do things like this, where you just give your flesh free, uh, free reign to do whatever it wants, you'll give sin the opportunity to kind of creep back in and start to get an upper hand in your life. Don't give it any opportunity. And I'm not saying the food is the issue, but it can be something. Remember the Israelites uh, back in the period of the Exodus, the situation with the golden calf, you know, where they, they sat down to eat and to drink and to be merry, praise God. And what does the Bible say? They rose up the play. Well, Pastor Stephen, that just means they rose up the play backgammon. They rose up the play checkers. Well, if they did, they did it with all of their clothes off, okay? You have to understand there's just something about just, you know, uh, splurging on your flesh to the point you just saturate it with uh, all kinds of stuff that just constantly just gets you in the flesh. Watch out. Watch out. They sat down to eat and to drink and, you know, just stuffing themselves with food and getting over into the alcohol and stuff like that. And then the next thing, they just had this feeling to, I just feel like standing up and going out and just having a wild party. And they took all their clothes off and, and then they said, let's just make a golden calf. You know, we really need a God that we can touch and feel and identify with. And it just turned into a big mess. Don't ever give sin an opportunity to get an upper hand in your life. Can you say yes? You can still have your sugar cookie. <laughs> Glory to God, you can still have your apple pie. Some of you get a little bit sad. Pastor Stephen, I have to fast on the holidays. No, I didn't say that. But you want to keep things in moderation. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mm -mm. Hallelujah. Starve your sins. Besiege your sins. Wear down the sinful habits, weaken sinful habits, so that they have no power over you, and that the reality that you're the master begins to come into clear focus, and that the sins are the slave. Hallelujah. Look, as a spirit, having a soul, living in a body, your body doesn't tell you what to do. You as a spirit, born again and recreated in the image of God, you tell your body what to do. And you say, body, we're not going to do that. It would just feel so good. Now, hold on, body. I'm in control here. You're not in control, and we're not going that direction. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And if your body has, has these struggles, then begin to put the siege, the siege effect against the enemy into place. Begin to implement it. Keep your body away from those things that would be difficult for it. Hallelujah. Help yourself out. Praise the Lord. Now, Dealing with sin, overcoming sin, and the initial dealing with these problem areas is very similar to what happens through the various stages of a crucifixion. Praise God. When a person is first nailed to that cross, how many of you know there's some screaming? 
Oh, Pastor Stephen, I wouldn't scream. I have control. No, when those nails start going through your hand and start severing all the nerve endings, there will be some screaming. When the nails are driven through your feet, shattering bone and shattering muscle tissue and just tearing at the pieces, woo, hallelujah, and that cross it slams into that two-foot hole and you feel that tear on all your tendons and ligaments, my friends, there is screaming and there is absolute total agony. That's what it feels like when you begin to besiege sin. Ooh, it screams. And it says, ooh, don't do that to me. Ooh, it hurts. Ooh, I can't, can't take it. It's too hard. And the sin seems to have so much strength and says, no, we must not stop this. But, my friends, it's like the man on the cross being crucified. Initially, they're screaming. There's a violent reaction of pulling and struggling. But he soon begins to realize, I, I can't go anywhere. I'm nailed in. And the initial strength, as the blood begins to flow out, the strength begins to subside. And the once loud piercing screams begin to get toned down. And after a little while on that cross, how many of you know it doesn't take long, the screams have now turned into mutters of mercy. Please, somebody help me. But my friends, it's too late. The sin is dying. The sin is dying. Starve it out. Besiege it. Crucify it. It'll put up a fight initially. It'll try to make all kinds of noise. But my friends, just starve it out. Keep it on the cross. Keep it on the cross. It gets weaker and weaker. And keep it on the cross. It gets weaker and weaker. And finally, it's in a state where it doesn't bother you anymore. Hallelujah. By the way, this is something that we have to stay on top of until we're off this planet and we receive new glorified bodies. Praise God. Because we are still in a flesh and blood body. We must always be in a place of besieging the sin, starving it down, keeping it in its proper place. Where? We're the master. It's the slave. We tell it what to do. It does not tell us what to do. Can you shout and say, yes, today, praise the Lord. Praise God. You know, there was a story just a couple of years ago of a man that, uh, he was a very wealthy man. He was a multimillionaire, so he had a lot of extra money. And he smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. And he had done that, if I'm correct, for about 25 years. How many of you know that's going to do some damage? If, I mean, that's the kind of person you open him up, he's going to be full of tar and all kinds of, of uh, yucky stuff. You know that every time a person smokes a cigarette that when you smoke a cigarette, you release over 4,000 toxins into your body. That's a fact. One puff on that cigarette and ingesting that, you have just ingested 4,000 uh, what we would call ingredients that are toxic and deadly to your body. Okay, so this man, four packs a day for about 25 years, and he said, I have got to stop this. This stuff is going to kill me. Now, he had not had any cancer 
or anything like that. But he said, I, you know, nevertheless, I know where this is going. I've got to stop smoking these cigarettes. So he told his wife, here's the plan. I, I am going to get on the helicopter with you. I'm going to have our pilot fly me out to a private island. And you and him are going to drop me off. And there will be a, a provision of food and of drinks. But there will be no cigarettes. And I want you to drop me off on that island for 40 days so that I can finally not have this stuff around me and I can get my system cleansed and flushed out from all the toxins and tar and all the junk from the cigarettes. By the way, if you were a former smoker, if you stopped smoking and began to exercise within a couple of years, usually uh, sometimes only about two years, and I believe as a spirit-filled believer, you could do it even quicker. After about two years, there can be such a restoration and healing in your body that a doctor could examine you and can never uh, see indications that you even smoked before. It's amazing how the body can heal and repair itself if it's given the opportunity. All right, let's go back to our story. So they get on the helicopter. The private island has been reserved. The food is there for 40 days. The juice and the drinks are there. No alcohol, just all healthy drinks. There's nobody else on the island. It's totally deserted. They've got a nice little shack for him with a little comfortable bed. They're going to take him to the private island. And he told his wife, no matter what, do not come and rescue me. Even if there's a typhoon or a hurricane and I've been out there for two weeks, don't show up. Do not pick me up for 40 days. Okay, so it's all planned. But guess what happened? On the very day before, after everything was planned and set up, he said, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Until this day, he's still smoking his cigarettes. My friends, if you want to deal with it, you're going to have to besiege it. And you're going to, you might not be able to get to a private island, okay? You probably can't do that. And you don't really need to. But in your own world and in your own way, with the tremendous help of the mighty Holy Spirit, he will help you to set up a siege wall. Uh, and he will help protect you, and you can begin to cut off all supplies of everything that's feeding that sin so that you can shut that thing off and starve it out. He'll show you how to do it exactly where you're at. Are you ready? Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are watching today that they besiege the enemy of sin in their life. I pray that by your Holy Spirit right now that you would give them instructions from headquarters of what they're to do against the enemy of sin in their life. Show them how they can cut off everything that strengthens that sin. Show them right now how they can besiege it, cut off all supplies to it so it gets weaker, 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 and can no longer dominate them. Now, Father, we thank you for this wisdom flowing, flowing, flowing. Give them your plan now to besiege the enemy of sin. Now, O oh God, by your grace, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hallelujah. Now, Father, let your grace flow, flow, flow in the name of Jesus. Somebody is getting delivered. There are types of deliverance where God can miraculously deliver his people instantly. And then there are other things that we walk out working the principles of God's Word. Pastor Stephen, I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to zap me and to just take it out. He can do that, but at the same time, you know, I, 
I can't make a manifestation of the Spirit happen, and neither can you. So the in, in, in the interim, let's just work with what we have because this works, okay? So again, Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, no opportunity for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Besiege sin in your life. Hallelujah. Let's take communion. Grab some grape juice. Grab some unleavened bread. We're besieging sin right now. This is one of the things you can do by taking Holy Communion. You know the devil doesn't want you to take communion. Praise God. And you know your flesh doesn't want to do it either. Praise God. But we're going to take communion, hallelujah, because we are spiritually dominant. And because, most importantly, we love the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who went to the cross for us so that we could be free from sin. Father, we hold a little wafer, a little piece of bread in our hands. But as we receive it, we thank you that it is transformed into the body of Christ and we receive his power and his dominion over sin. Now, Father, we thank you that the Lord is present right now in this communion. We are receiving his body and strength, and we are receiving dominion over sin, which is ours. We thank you. We thank you for the dominion that is ours in Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. Say that. Say, I am in Christ. Now, Father, we thank you forever for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the body of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Please grab your grape juice at this time. Father, we thank you that when the Lord Jesus appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus, that as they arrived at the house and he stayed there with them for a short period of time, and they had a meal together, it was during the breaking of bread that they understood that Christ was in their presence. And so, Father, we thank you that it's during the receiving of the communion that we have an awareness that you are always with us and that you are strengthening us continually and empowering us to be who you have called us to be, who you have qualified us to be, and who, are, and who we are redeemed to be in your Son. So, Father, as we receive this grape juice, we thank you that we are receiving his blood, and we receive his blood by faith and its soul-cleansing power. We thank you for its preservative power against sin and the shielding of all the evil and filth that is in this world. Now, Father, we thank you for your grace and for your empowerment to live holy, blood-bought lives. We thank you that we are not our own, but we have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. We are not our own. We thank you, Father, Jesus owns us. Hallelujah. And we will glorify you in our bodies. Now, Father, this is a choice we make, and we praise you for the blood of Jesus and its life-giving power in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink all of it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. As you go forth into your day, please at this time sing a song of worship to your Lord, the Holy Spirit. We'll bring up a song into your heart. Maybe it's something that you make up, spontaneous. Maybe it's something that 
just begins to rise up that allows you to worship and glorify him. Please do that now as we close. I'll see you back next time in the Word of God. Till then, you be richly blessed. Bye-bye. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.